Because what this piece of paper or the annual tracker that you're giving your uh, clients is doing is um, it's giving them the accountability they need. And that's a huge, huge portion. It's going to be a long-term process that you do. And then you do need support because there are days that you're going to be down. There are days that you're going to be up. So you need support for both of them. You need um, you need somebody to cheer you along when you're when you're winning, and you need somebody to pick you up when you're losing. So, of course, having um, somebody or something to keep you accountable is good. And it's great that you have this tracker where you just take off, you know, the box, because what ends up happening is you look at that streak that you have had, and that internally motivates you to keep going because you don't want yeah. to lose that streak. Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober podcast. My name is Janet Gorond. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. Now here at Tribe Sober, we enable people to change their relationship with alcohol and then go on to thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last five years, we've helped hundreds of people to do just that. We created Tribe Sober because we believe it's really, really hard to change your drinking alone. So at Tribe Sober, we're all about community. Each week we feature a community voice just to give you a flavour of the awesomeness of our tribe. Here's a lady from one of our WhatsApp groups. I have now been a sober alcohol-free person for, I think it's now coming up to two and a half years. And I must say that I found the big difference that helped my commitment to an alcohol-free life stick is definitely community Um, and I've remained in touch with Tribe Sober from basically my first sort of day one and here I am and still in touch and still loving my life. So if you want to join our community and get a bit of support just go to tribesober.com and click on the join our tribe button. Now we've designed our membership program so that not only do we support you to stop drinking, but we then help and encourage you to actually thrive in your alcohol-free life. If we're going to thrive, then I think we should be happy with our weights. We don't all need to look like a supermodel, but we do need to feel fit and healthy. I did a blog and a Facebook Live recently about kickstarting your weight loss in sobriety, so do check that one out if you missed it, or drop me a line at janet at and I'll send it to you. Last week I interviewed Dr Grace, who had some great advice about healing our bodies. Now this week I'm interviewing another doctor who specialises in obesity medicine. Dr. Avishkar trained in internal medicine both in India and the US. He's also certified in obesity medicine and lifestyle medicine. 
He's got a passion for helping people suffering from lifestyle diseases, especially obesity. And he aims to help people facing obesity to get their lives back on track. So let's get to the conversation. So Avishkal, thank you so much for, for giving me this time to chat today. Can we start by just hearing a little bit about yourself? And I'm particularly interested in why you decided to specialize in obesity medicine, because to be honest, I didn't even know there was a specialized field. <laughs> so I'm all ears. Tell us everything. Thank you so much, uh, Janet, for having me. And in all honesty, I also didn't know about this field till a few years ago. <laughs> all right. And you're a doctor, so no excuse. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what ended up happening was um, I was actually myself uh, suffering from obesity, and I've suffered from obesity all my life. I've been on the heavier side, and um, the only advice that I would get would be to eat less, move more, just the usual stuff that you hear everywhere. And uh, we know how well it works. <laughs> So that was a problem. And um, what ended up happening was um, I, when I was in my residency in India for my medicine, I would just try to, you know, go to the gym if I had to lose a few pounds. And then I would just exercise a lot because I thought it's just calories in, calories out. And that would just maybe help me lose a few pounds here, a few pounds there. And that would it, that would be it. And then I would just gain it all back. Uh, but at the end of my residency, I kind of reached my highest weight. And uh, that's when I decided I needed to do something different because I really needed to get rid of this for good. So I decided to change my lifestyle. And this was, I did not know about obesity medicine as a field. I, even after having done my residency training in internal medicine um, in India, I knew very little about obesity as a disease. So I did what I thought was appropriate for me. And at that point in time, I used to think of obesity as a purely lifestyle disease and something that is purely controlled by your lifestyle. So um, I changed my lifestyle around. I started eating much more healthy. I started keeping a very close track of my calories and what I was putting into my mouth and how much I was exercising. And it worked for me, luckily. So um I was, you know, ecstatic. My 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 weight had come off, and I was having more energy. I was feeling healthier, and uh, I just happened to Google after that because I really got interested and intrigued. I was intrigued by this uh, field, so I really just happened to Google obesity medicine, and there it was. And I was very surprised when I saw that because I did not know that this was a field. This was a specialization that existed, and that really piqued my interest into the whole science of obesity and what we understand about obesity from uh, from a medicine perspective. Um, I reached out a few programs here in the U.S., and they said you have to be trained in the U.S. to specialize in obesity medicine here. Now, um, there is there are some other programs also available across the world uh, for obesity medicine, but nothing as structured as what you have here. And uh, what ended up happening was, at that time I was in India, but I ended up coming to the U.S., not for training in obesity medicine, but I happened to be here and I did my residency. So I did another residency in medicine here. So now I was eligible to kind of go into obesity medicine. And because I had always had this keen interest in this, um, I decided to do obesity medicine. And that really opened my eyes because obesity is much more complex than uh, what we know about it and what we understand about it. And um, yeah, so that led me down this path of specializing in uh, obesity medicine and really is my passion uh, because uh, it, there's so much more to this. 
And this passion actually led me to start uh, my podcast, which I was very happy to have you on. Um, because well, I realized that if I had specialized in two countries and I did not know about obesity as much as I should know, and um, you know, as much as uh, the information that's available, I thought I really need to get this message out to people so that they can understand much better about their obesity and see if there are certain things that they can do which might help them. So that's why I started my podcast called Decoding Obesity, and uh, that's my journey. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, I'm sure you're getting lots of listeners. It's um, People want to know about this stuff. Yeah. So uh, as you know, this podcast is about uh, alcohol and people who are suffering from alcohol dependency. You know, they, they tend to listen. So um, what, what do you say to your patients about alcohol when you're helping them to lose weight? Do you tell them to, to ditch it completely or do you say you can have so much a week or what do you say to them? I think um, it's alcohol is a very complex issue in terms of how much and how little because um, the data that we have on alcohol is um, just like any other data. I mean, there's data to support that, of course, alcohol can be detrimental to your health. And uh, with the latest data supporting the fact that, you know, we should really, really limit our alcohol intake. The thing is that when you look at obesity per se, um, alcohol acts as calories that are not uh, necessarily needed by your body. So what I mean by that is they're essentially empty calories because they're they're not new. When you purely look at it from an obesity perspective, I'm not looking at it from other aspects of health because alcohol has detrimental effects on all of your body, um, you know, your mind, your your liver, your heart, everything. So I'm not looking at it from that perspective, but purely when you look at it from a weight perspective, it's essentially calories that are going into your body or a source of energy that's going into your body that's not necessarily giving it any nutrients. But it is still being burned as a fuel, and so it's an extra added source of uh, source of energy. And add to that the complexity that um, whenever people are having alcohol, they'll usually take some some kind of an appetizer or a snack along with that, which is not necessarily going to be broccoli or cabbage or Brussels sprouts. <laughs> right? So it just doesn't go with a nice glass of wine, does it? Yeah. A piece of broccoli it has to be like crisps or or a bit of cheese to nibble on and i think i mean from my experience as a a drinker for many years um i felt that my my kind of willpower disappeared once i started drinking i i think oh well i don't really need to lose weight and i'd kind of tuck in and then the next morning <laughs> i'd be be full of remorse uh, we we talk quite a lot in our community about how we're we're kind of brainwashed from a very early age that uh, alcohol is important to our lives, you know, to for us to have a happy life. And there's all this marketing everywhere, and and of course the social pressure to drink. You know, yeah. I don't know about the the circles you you move in, but um, still, you know, the people that I meet, if I, I tell them I don't drink, you know, they look at me as if I've said that I eat eat babies for my breakfast. You know? <laughs> <laughs> they think I'm very odd. So there's a huge amount of social pressure and, and the marketing. And it occurred to me, you know, when I was thinking about you and what we're going to talk about, that that's, that's very true of food as well, isn't it? You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. Well, I, I think 
us humans as a race, we are really, we really focus on any culture you look at, we focus on food a lot, right? Anything that brings people together is food at any, at any point in any culture, in any, any religion, whatever you have you, right? What brings us together is food. Um, and so food is very important as a social binder for us. But the problem occurs when you have food as a social binder or as a, as a means of socializing, but now you have food that's not necessarily food, right? So it becomes a little tricky because that really acts very differently in your body than real food. And uh, definitely it does act on, uh, you know, these foods we call the hyperpalatable foods like your chips, cookies, etc. They're not necessarily food, right? So they act very differently and they sometimes, some of the components of these foods do act on your uh, addictive pathways. So they can act uh, kind of like what alcohol would do, you know, in a person who is prone to addiction, Interesting. And what what kind of foods do you think are the most addictive? I know it's not I broccoli. Think it's, <laughs> it's definitely not broccoli. But I think um, it's uh, usually we call them the hyperpalatable foods. And um, what I usually say is that it's the trifecta of salt, fat, and sugar in varying forms. And then there's also the food flavorings that are added to these things. So those are, um, um, you know, I don't know, I know you're in South Africa, but I don't know about the grocery stores there, but these foods in the U.S. are usually going to be in the middle aisles, not on the periphery. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so these foods are uh, what we call the hyperpalatable foods. They're nutrient-deficient foods, which are calorie-dense. So these are two different terms, nutrient-deficient, meaning they don't have the other nutrients that you would need um, and just purely have the calories or they're just forms of energy and don't have the other essential nutrients that your body needs. Yeah, I mean, the, the supermarkets here, are, I'm sure they're not quite as vast as the ones in the States, but <laughs> it's, it's true. I, I would say if you really want to eat healthily, you probably only about 10%, maybe 20% of that store is is good food, you know, the, yeah, the rest of real it. food. Yeah, and then you talked about marketing and alcohol. I think it's similar in the food industry also. All of these foods are marketed. Nobody's nobody's marketing cabbage or broccoli, but of course there's there are a lot of dollars being pumped into marketing um sodas, there are pump, dollars pumped into marketing chips, cookies, stuff like that. So there's a lot of money that's going into this. Yeah. yeah. So of course I that think... that has a role to play. I mean that's that's there's a reason why this is happening, right? Course, it's successful otherwise nobody would do it yeah yeah no, the, the margins must be huge on on so many foods yeah i mean the, there's so many parallels aren't there between uh giving up alcohol and trying to lose weight except of course you can't stop eating entirely whereas oh, yeah. in my experience <laughs> that's the hard part easy. yeah <laughs> in my experience it's actually easier to give up uh, drinking completely than to try and control it because i tried to control it for a long time and i was getting nowhere but once i stopped you know things things got a lot easier I've become um, convinced after working with, you know, a number of people for the five years that I've been, been doing this work that uh, mindset plays a huge role in conquering this, uh, this problem. And I wondered if you work on mindset with your patients. Uh, mindset is a huge, huge thing. Um, everything starts in the mind as far as your habits go, right? 
of course addiction is a completely different thing because that's not act, uh, happening at your conscious level that acts as a, at a subconscious level or an unconscious level wherein you don't know why it's happening but it's happening right but your mindset plays a role as far as your conscious decisions go i think and i think eventually it probably does translate to uh, a little bit into what your unconscious decisions are going to be or what your habits are going to form eventually over time but uh you know if you look at addiction purely it's it's not just going to be a change in mindset but a lot of benefit can be gained from mindset and actually interestingly in obesity medicine we talk about four pillars so there's going to be your uh your food your exercise your mindset and then medications and surgery whatever have you mm-hmm. so um not mindset per se but like the the psych component including all of the other problems that may be there that may be causing or masquerading as obesity with the underlying problem being something else yeah yeah i mean certainly with alcohol dependency a lot of people i mean certainly i had a lot of limiting beliefs around alcohol i i i couldn't imagine how i would ever be able to have fun without alcohol how could i relax without alcohol you know it's just, and to to make some progress you have to kind of uncouple these beliefs and and reverse them and that's yeah. why the mindset really seems to help with and, and you know this is not just uh this is happening at an unconscious level which is causing these conscious thoughts if you look at it that way because it's going to trigger your addictive pathways which are your reward systems and that's why you're consciously thinking that there's no way that i can have fun without this yeah. so the unconscious process is different but the conscious manifestation of that process is that you're not able to have fun without it that kind of happens with these hyperpalatable foods also because they're rewarding Yeah. So you're eating this you're getting you're getting a sense of happiness you're setting getting getting a sense of comfort and that the conscious the conscious mind is thinking okay this is my comfort food and that's how we use comfort foods if you look at any comfort food anywhere yeah. it's not going to be boiled vegetables yeah and if you take that to the extreme the kind of eating disorders it, it's a bit like alcoholism in that i think some people they they eat to numb their feelings you know if right. they go on a huge eating binge they they can't feel anything because they're just well so eating disorders are a specific disorders um that are recognized by you know in the psychiatric field and uh they require treatment as eating disorders so uh, that's a completely different thing but having said that emotional eating is also a big big thing you eat when you're stressed you eat when you're anxious and that's all to comfort yourself you eat when you're bored right so there are so many other cues around you when you eat um than just when you're hungry sometimes thirst can manifest as as uh, hunger so there are so many other cues around you and then there is this constant availability of these quick snacks everywhere that just compounds the problem you're listening to a podcast from tribe sober if you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab that's www.tribesober.com Yeah, yeah. I mean that emotional eating, all those emotions that you mentioned like stressed right. and tired and anxious. We drink when we feel those. As right. Well. Some of us drink and we eat. 
So um, when people join our, our community, we give them an annual tracker and it's just a piece of paper. It's very low tech, but people seem to love it more than using their phones to track their, their alcohol free days. And what happens is, you know, every time they, they don't drink, they just fill in one of these little squares. And then if um, they happen to have a slip up sometime, you know, we, we just say, well, get, get right back on the bus, you know, mark it on your tracker and get back on track. And this seems to work well for people because otherwise, before we use this kind of system, we were finding that when people, and I know because it happened to me as well, when people slipped up, you know, say they had a, a really bad night and they had lots to drink, then the next morning, obviously, full of hangover and remorse and, and self-loathing, and you start thinking, oh, I can't, I'll never do this. I'm just going to drink, you know. So, And I think the eating thing is a little bit the same. So I wondered what you say to your patients if they you know, had a slip up and completely well, lost the plot with their eating. How do you re-motivate them? Because it can be quite hard. It's not a little same. It's quite, quite similar uh, to to this. Because what this piece of paper or the annual tracker that you're giving patient, uh, your, your, uh, your uh, clients is doing is, um, it's giving them the accountability they need. And that's a huge, huge portion, a huge thing in obesity. It's not a one-day thing. You're not going to lose your weight to get to a healthier weight in one day. It's going to be a long-term process that you do. And then you do need support because there are days that you're going to be down. There are days that you're going to be up. So you need support for both of them. You need um, you need somebody to cheer you along when you're when you're winning. And you need somebody to pick you up when you're losing. So, of course, having um, somebody or something to keep you accountable is good. And it's great that you have this tracker where you just take off, you know, the box, because what ends up happening is you look at that streak that you've had, and that internally motivates you to keep going because you don't want yeah. to lose that streak. Yeah. Right. You have yeah. a streak of wins and you don't want to lose it and start from zero again. So Absolutely. that really keeps you motivated. So anything you really need accountability. And I'm glad that you bring this up because you know, for this accountability piece, I have started a community uh, in uh, for uh, for obesity. It's a free community that I started on Facebook called Decoding Obesity Community. Um, and it's really just so that people can join and people who are suffering from obesity, just like alcohol, because you know, suffering from obesity can be a very lonely place at times because people don't understand where you're coming from. People don't understand your struggles. And I see it all the time. People with obesity are mocked everywhere. You know, you yeah, look at, yeah. I mean, I will, I, you know, on if you go, go on Facebook, you get these snippets of um, of comedy shows. And I mean, so many of them, I've seen them just mocking about people with obesity. And I'm, I just feel bad because yeah, it, it's not, a, I don't think it's appropriate. I, I think uh, just like, you know, having somebody with alcohol uh, issues, it's it's not appropriate to do that. So that's why I wanted to create this community, which is like a very safe place. And I, I just keep it very closely guarded. Like I wouldn't let any random person into spam or whatever. So I, and it's free because I really wanted to give this accountability piece because sometimes it's hard to find that. So I, yeah. it's called Decoding Obesity Community. And, you know, if anybody wants to join this, they're more than welcome to. Um, I do create, that's why I created like, a, a, they have to sign up for it before they actually go and actually sign into the Facebook community itself. So it's like a double barrier. So there's like that inhibition when you're signing in. And I don't let people in unless like they've done that part. 
Yeah. Oh, that sounds a great idea. It, it has to be a safe space. I'll put it in the show notes. But yes, I mean, like you, we have a community and it works so well. You know, I, I was struggling for years because I wanted to be very private, you know, about my my struggles. I didn't want to talk to anyone or share it. Yeah. Well, that's what I thought. But once I started finding other people that were struggling like me, I, I suddenly stop thinking there's something terribly wrong with me, you know, because I right. realized a lot of people have this struggle. Yeah, because what ends up happening is when you don't see people around you with the same problem, you feel I'm the only one with this problem. And why is it that it's only me? But when you find this community where you have others going through the same process, whether it's for alcohol, whether it's for obesity, whether it's for anything, um, that's a struggle. When you find people in the same process and you find some people who may be just one step ahead of you, they may really be able to help you get to that next step. And that's really what you essentially need at, at times. Yeah. And what we do, because we've been going for a few years now, we've got quite a few people that have, you know, ditched the alcohol with us. So they're a few years sober now and they have stayed with the group because they like helping the new people. So we yeah. can team new people up with, we call it a sober buddy. So they've got a, a bigger degree of accountability. That's someone they right. can call, you know, in the evening and chat yeah. to if they feel tempted. And that's working really well. So talk to us about the latest findings in obesity medicine. What's new? You know, they've been telling us, haven't they, for for 40 years, there's going to be a pill that we can take and we'll be slim. <laughs> <laughs> well, gladly, there are pills available that you can take, but they're adjuncts to changes in changing your lifestyle. So there are a lot of pills now that are available, but they have to be prescribed and they have specific guidelines when they can be prescribed to patients. But what we emphasize is these are adjuncts and a lot of times people will need it. So sometimes people will be started on them directly when they see an obesity specialist because they've already tried a lot of things and they haven't worked for them. Um, but the other thing, other aspect of this is understanding what's going on in your life. Sometimes a pill may not be the answer. Sometimes it may be an emotional issue that may be the answer resolving that. Sometimes it may be that you're having a binge eating disorder and resolving that issue may be the answer. And while a pill may be great or a surgery may be great, uh, that may not be the right answer. For example, if somebody has binge eating disorder, if we go ahead and do a surgery, they may have worse outcomes actually. So really understanding and treating the underlying cause of the obesity is much more important. Um, and that's that's how obesity should be approached. Yeah, yeah, holistically. Because uh, there's a lot of hormonal um implications i think aren't there with uh, with weight problems oh yeah it is it's a purely hormonal disease i call it a neurohormonal because it does there are things that happen in your brain also but yes it does have hormonal implications it makes you more prone to diabetes it and and other than that it makes you more prone to infertility pcos so these are the hormonal problems other problems are more prone to having strokes heart attacks uh, more prone to depression uh, obstructive sleep apnea, you name it. There are so many yeah. diseases tied to obesity. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. There's a lot of interest over here in intermittent fasting. Any views on that? <laughs> oh, well, I, I am a big proponent of that if you can do it. But even intermittent fasting, if you really geek out on it, it's it's um, it's a lot more because there are so many things that you can do in terms of intermittent fasting and how you fast. Um, I was actually reading, um, I, I don't know, I don't remember if it was a book or an article, and it was just showing the, they had just mapped out how frequently or how many hours in a day we now eat. And I think it was 
I, I think it was like um, on an average of they just looked at the average population and they they found it was like 20 20 hours or 23 hours out of 24 hours we're eating <laughs> so it was mind-boggling it was mind-boggling i could be wrong on the number but it was it was an it was a mind-boggling uh, number of hours that we have open as in when we are eating yeah. right so that includes your snacking your meals and that was i was astounded <laughs> when i saw that so um yeah, so there is a the the concept of intermittent fasting is is very fascinating, and it's not new. It's been there for centuries and ages yeah, since we've been Ramadan. Right? Those kind yeah, of- yeah. Any you look at any religion, it's there, mm. right? Um, the they the religions tie to the religious. You know, they these fasts have religious connotations with any religion, but when you look at the science of it, it's still evolving because we're doing studies now on this and we're finding new things about it. But there are different types of fasts you can do, right? You can do a 16-8 fast. That mm-hmm. 16-8 fast, that is, uh, you're fasting for eight hours and eating within a 16-hour window. You can do a 20, sorry, reverse. You're fasting right for around. 16, yeah, sorry. 16 hours you're fasting and eight hours you're eating. Um, and then there's a 24, so you're you're fasting for 20 hours, eating within four hours. Then there's alternative fasting. A lot of the data that we have is on alternative fasting. Uh, so you're eating... Uh, either a specific amount of calories, about 500 calories or so on one day, and then next you're eating your regular meal. And they've con- uh, basically compared this to um, having a calorie-reduced diet. And they have seen some studies have seen some benefits. Some studies have not seen great benefits with it. So the data is still evolving, but it's um, I think it's a, it's a good thing if you can do it. The other aspect of this is also the fact uh, that when you eat is important in the day. So, so it's you. You can geek out as much as you want on this uh, intermittent fasting thing because there are so many different variables here, right? When do you eat? Do you eat in the morning? Do you eat in the evening? Do you eat at night? What's the best time and uh, what's the best duration? And there are there's this fasting mimicking diet that's coming out, but the data on fasting mimicking diet is more for longevity and not for obesity, per se. Specifically, when they uh, when the studies were done. So that's another very fascinating field. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a strong proponent. I've tried it. Um, I think um, I tried it to just to try it and see how it works. I felt it was a good thing that you could do. But again, what we emphasize in obesity medicine and in management of obesity is that you need to find something that is going to be sustainable. Yeah. If you're not going to be able to sustain something, then there's no point in trying and forcing yourself to do something. You should try definitely and see if that's going to be a right fit for you. But uh, because, of course, you won't know till you try it. But you have to find something that you will be able to sustain for the rest of your life because it's an intervention that you're making. So it's not so it's not like an infection where you give antibiotics and the infection is gone and it's cured. Um, obesity is a chronic disease. So it's going to remain with you um, through your life. It's just going to be in remission uh, when you're having those changes. And that's important to understand. So you have to find some changes that are, that you're going to be able to sustain for the rest of your life. Every Saturday afternoon, we open up our Tribe Sober Zoom Cafe. It's a safe space where our members can connect, check in, and just shoot the breeze about alcohol-free living. If you'd like to be a guest at the cafe one Saturday, just drop us an email at Janet at TribeSober.com. That's Janet, J-A-N-E-T, at TribeSober.com. And we'll send you an invitation. 
Yeah, it has to be a lifestyle, not a diet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've tried the intermittent fasting and I, I must admit I love the simplicity of it. Well, yeah, yeah, it's very simple. Be bothered with, you know, counting this a portion or, or or bothering about what I'm going to eat too much, but um I've been eating, uh, you know, I get up early and have breakfast and then I have lunch and then about two o'clock I just stop eating. Uh, I've been doing that for a few weeks now and uh, I used to get really hungry in the evening. <laughs> but now I don't. You know, it's yeah. like my body used to it and uh, well i mean there are other things you can do to simplify your life because uh, people with obesity can try meal replacements because there's good data on meal replacements if you're not able to do intermittent fasting meal replacements are um are a great way to to you know start if you just to simplify your diet because there is good data to support using meal replacements as well so simplifying it yeah intermittent fasting simplifies it but i don't think it's going to be uh something for everyone no, some no. people may not be able to do it. Some people will find great benefit from it. Some people will. Um, in fact, I am going to have a guest on my show who's going to be uh, doing, uh, you know, he's going to be talking about his success with intermittent fasting. So, so yeah, I mean, it's it's not going to be a one size fits all. Okay, Avishka. Well, that was that was fascinating. So um, let's just recap a bit on on how people can find you. I think the easiest way would be to go to my website. It's called decodingobesity.com. and that's where I have the link for my Facebook community. It's right in the in the header, and then I have started something called the Decoding Obesity Hangout. It's going to be just a monthly meetup. Again, just kind of putting in that accountability piece, kind of getting people to know each other, see each other face to face, and kind of have that discussion going so all of that is on my website so i think the easiest way would be to either go to my website or i'm on social all social media platforms they can find me by by uh, by doctor i I go by dr sabarwal d-o-c-t-o-r-s-a-b-h-a-r-w-a-l there you heard me talking to dr avishkar let's pick out a few threads from that conversation now avishkar had suffered from obesity himself So he developed a passion to help people who had this problem. And he's actually got a podcast now, which is called Decoding Obesity. We talked about the relationship between alcohol and obesity. And Avishkar explained that not only does alcohol have a detrimental effect on every part of our body, but it's a source of empty calories. No nutritional value, yet it will contribute to our weight gain. We talked about the fact that food is present as a social binder for all races and religions, and it always has been. The problem is that these days we have food that is non-food, food that is nutrient deficient and acts on our addictive pathways. We discussed the similarity between emotional eating and drinking alcohol to numb our feelings. And we also agreed that accountability is hugely important, whether we're losing weight or giving up alcohol. And that's why communities and trackers are so important. We talked about the fact that at Tribe Sober, we have sober buddies. Those are people that have got sober with us and now they want to stick around and help new people. That extra layer of accountability really helps. And we also discussed the relief of finding others who have the same problem and how people doing well in a community will encourage each other. And we saw that on our group this week. We had several people reaching the 66-day goal and we saw how they gave hope to the newbies. Avishkar stressed the importance of dealing with underlying causes 
whether for alcohol dependence or obesity, some people may need to work with a therapist before they can succeed. We also chatted about intermittent fasting, which works for some people, but it's not for everyone. Avishkar explained that the most important thing is to find a sustainable solution to manage your weight, and he's found that meal replacements work well for many people. If you'd like to join Avishkar's free Facebook community, then go to his website, which is decodingobesity.com, and you'll find the links there. He's also got a great podcast called Decoding Obesity, and that comes out every week. You heard us discussing the value of trackers. So if you'd like one of our trackers, just email me at janet at tribesober.com and I'll send you one. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to follow us and share the podcast. See you next week. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard. It takes courage and grit and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.